where are we uniquely situated at this time and place to do something important with community partners for the common good? Hello, and welcome to Rules of Engagement, a show that highlights the projects and partnerships of the University of Minnesota Robert J. Jones Urban Research and Outreach Engagement Center, which reports to the Office for Public Engagement. In today's episode, we will discuss the Office for Public Engagement with David Wirtz, Professor and Faculty Director for the Office for Public Engagement at the University of Minnesota. It's good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, I'd be pleased to do that. Um, So a little bit about myself. I have been here at the University of Minnesota for about 15 years now, and I'm a professor in our College of Education and Human Development. And kind of my story that I've gotten into this area of public engagement is for several years, I was just really interested in the broader purposes of higher education and society and thinking about these ideas of um, how can we really bring together universities with community, communities in a, bu- a mutually beneficial way yeah. uh, so that everyone benefits and that um, institutions thrive, communities thrive, and we can all work together uh, in a more collaborative way. So that brought me to a lot of my, the research that I do. Um, I had a history before that of uh, raising money as a major gifts officer at the University of Wisconsin ah. and also here at Minnesota. So what was fascinating about that is meeting with donors who had a big public vision, Yeah, right? That's good. For what uh, higher education was about. And their transformational giving was really around these big uh, ideas. So uh, that's kind of what drives me in the work that I do and um, my connection to work with the Office for Public Engagement on the faculty side. That that is fantastic. I had forgotten about being a program officer and uh, making money for, yes, for, for yes. people. That is that's a fantastic background. <laughs> well, it's funny. You know, one of the early pieces of advice I got from a, a senior leader, and this was our very young days. He said, "You know what? It, uh, it will never hurt you in your career if you learn how to raise money uh, <laughs> for the university." And so it's that's followed me because some of that work um, has been helpful in different centers that I've supported and different things. So. That was good early advice when I was a young 23-year-old. 23. So, right. <laughs> okay, because you're only, you look you're about 25 now. <laughs> well, I'll take it. Well, thank you. I don't, I don't know about that. Every, every day is a, you know, a gift, so we'll take what we got. Okay. Okay, and I know we have a short time, but can you talk a little bit about um, how those skills have transferred to the work that you do now? Yeah, it's interesting. I think probably the biggest piece of it is when I was doing the fundraising work, I, I worked across several different kinds of colleges with several different ideas about uh, the work that they were doing and different kind of donors with different ideas about what they wanted to do. And I think uh, working with various communities and various stakeholder groups, uh, there's this notion of boundary spanning across these yeah. various groups who right. have very different ideas about how the work should be done and uh, what's the broader purposes of higher education. So I think I've seen myself as somebody who's been able to cross those boundaries and to be able to say, how do we bring productive agreements together for the common good for all? So I think that's how it helped. I agree. I, I mean, I, I can see that, especially when I think of universities and how they function and sometimes how people are um, developed as researchers um, to be kind of a, a, a single-minded, uh, to focus in their area of expertise. And so sometimes it's hard to to cross those boundaries. So you already knowing how to do that, I think is, is fantastic. 
Well, thanks. <laughs> you're, uh, you're welcome. Um, the Office for Public Engagement has been a driving force. Can you share a little bit about that office? Yeah, so the the office, what's fascinating about this particular office is it was really the vision of of a number of folks in the mid-early 2000s, okay. I would say. Um, Robert Jones, as you mentioned, Bob Runix, others mm-hmm. uh, during that time, who really saw a broader way to think about the relationship between the university and the state and the broader society. I, w- I would say that uh, prior to that, a lot of institutions were thinking about public engagement but really more maybe in the project-based work. So it was maybe a series of projects you would do mm-hmm. for the public good and with community, which is great. But it really wasn't around institutional transformation, mm-hmm. uh, which is really what this office is about. It's yeah. transformation is the sense of, you know, we do these projects, but it's really about rethinking our identity as an institution to be a publicly engaged institution. And so what that means then is our office has a lot of different functions where we work across colleges and departments and units and faculty to say, how do we um, uh, advance this work in a way that it gets rewarded, that it's high right. quality, right. it's done in a way that reciprocity and mutual benefit with community, um, so that people see themselves and the institution sees itself as an engaged uh, institution. And we think about this more you know, broadly across the system, too, um, because we are a system-wide office, so we're supporting right. the five-campus system at the university. Um, so we played a role in supporting various institutions on their journey toward this transformation. That's fantastic, <laughs> and, and I think important when I think of um, the support or, or, uh, that we get from the state. Um, mm. I think they're looking for our publicly engaged work. Um, at the same time, we're a research one university. Mm-hmm. Are there tensions there between being publicly engaged and being a research one university? Well, it's a interesting and really important question. Something that's been on the mind of folks for many, many years about <laughs> this, especially these institutions are, um, in, in fact, it's funny. So I teach a course on administration and leadership in higher education. And the way that these institutions are talked about, research institutions are called the organized anarchy. Ah. Um, and there's a <laughs> and there's a whole understanding about that because it's to say that uh, these are kind of loosely affiliated colleges and faculty are what they call kind of like cosmopolitan faculty is some some of the word in the, in the sense that they see their in some cases their loyalty more to their disciplines than the institution or the you know broader needs. So it's 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 a challenge for these institutions as they think about especially local commitments and how they think about. Uh, their own scholarship, um, especially in the rewards area, because a lot of our if, thinking about the Twin Cities campus now, you know, really, really the main push is around a peer-reviewed scholarship in terms of people's promotion and tenure. So we have to be creative and supportive in ways that uh, we can bring uh, folks together across units and with uh, communities in ways that support community needs, but also make sure that these faculty will be around to see the that's right <laughs> the next the next round and and are, are tenured and successful in their careers. So so it is a challenge. It is a challenge, and so how do you meet that challenge? So um, gr- great uh, segue <laughs> to a lot of things that we're involved with uh, in the office. So my area is around um, as a faculty director for academic planning and programs. So I kind of. In my role, I'm, I'm sort of the uh, academic officer, I guess, of the office in the sense that I support uh, faculty as they're thinking about 
um, from early career all the way through kind of late career in their development as community-engaged scholars. So a couple of examples I would give is when there are new faculty that come to the university, uh, we try to get there early and often in terms of orientation. Okay. We have a table out there and we, we talk to many folks. In fact, this is really growing and people are very interested to do community-engaged work. Um, so we explain the set of services like consultations, but also workshops that we do. Okay. Um, some examples of those that we offer are developing and applying partnership principles. So how do you create authentic partnerships with communities and, and think about entering into those uh, arrangements? Uh, increasing the impact of research through public engagement. Okay. So thinking about broadly about how they leverage this in ways that are I- impactful uh, for um, contribution to the field, but also right. to the uh, community. Uh, fundamentals of community-engaged teaching and learning. So this is an, also another important piece is it's in addition to the research, we also think about uh, the teaching agenda right. and the service learning and other kind of engaged uh, methodologies for teaching and support in that area. And then I think the really big piece that we work on is a series of workshops around community-engaged scholarship and promotion and tenure. Right. And that's kind of what I was alluding to is, you know, faculty are on this this seven-year probationary kind of track where they have various checkpoints along the way. And it's a high-stakes decision after this, when you're in year six. Because, um, you know, they, you could be voted off the island, as they would say. Right. So, so one of the things that's been, I think, we're, we're really proud of and innovative and, and kind of a University of Minnesota, I would say, leadership in this area is what's called the Review Committee for Community-Engaged Scholarship. Okay. And so this, I'm going to tell you real quickly about this. So one of the big things that we have related to this committee is um, – Faculty, when they are going up for promotion and tenure, uh, they're required to have external letters to talk about the quality of their work. So many times these are Big Ten peer institutions, other folks you know, from other institutions coming together to weigh on their work. Uh, but what we've established with this review committee is a group of very uh, prominent engaged scholars at our own institution that have really demonstrated expertise internationally in this work. And they provide a supplemental review for these scholars um, that they look at their work. There's a rubric they they look at, and they write an assessment about the quality of their community-engaged work. And the reason they do that is because some departments are supportive of community engagement, but are not exactly sure how to evaluate it. Right. So the, the purpose of this review letter is for candidates to have another opportunity uh, for really high-end folks doing this work to be able to talk about the quality of that work. So this has been something that started uh, about four years ago. Uh, We have this coming year three or four folks who are going to go up on that for for candidates. And we found this to be very helpful for people's processes for their, their file in their promotion process. Well, I think that I think that's important and fantastic for faculty to uh, to have that as a support for them. Um, I also believe that you there are some points that they get um, as they are reviewed each year. Um, you've maybe helped enhance the tenure code. Yeah. Them. So one of the things that's happened, and I would say, um, and prior to that as well, as I went on to say that uh, this is done in partnership with the vice provost for academic and faculty affairs. Fantastic. So that's an important point to make in, in the sense that there's some shared leadership around this. Uh, and that's been uh, Rebecca Ropers, who's been really terrific over the past several years working with Andy Furco, who is our, our uh, previous vice president, 
And so I've, I've really been fortunate to come alongside them and then um, continue this uh, work in this area. But you're right, in terms of the uh, promotion and tenure code, uh, what's very interesting, again, the organized anarchy on this theme yes. is public engagement um, at the university is seen in a variety of different ways across all of these colleges and departments. In fact, so I, I referenced Rebecca and Andy a few years ago, they did an assessment of these tenure codes called the 712 statement. That's the statement that we, we call it. Um, but they found uh, 36 proxy terms for how people actually described public engagement. So social responsibility, civic engagement, public leadership, public intellectualism, all of these kind of things. So what we have to be very attuned to is how these disciplines and fields and various traditions of understanding the public good in these fields come to understand this work. So within these promotion tenure codes, the idea is uh, we support faculty to think deeply about what does it mean in, in their particular domain around public engagement. So in this kind of uh, research university system, it's really, the, the, it's very faculty driven. So a lot of our work in our office is just to support and come alongside, help people make sense of what this work is, and then kind of shepherd people along in this process. Well, so, so as I think about that, and I think that's fantastic that you're coming alongside and, and helping the faculty, I'm also thinking about the departments and for those departments that are not yet embracing engagement, they may they may woo right faculty to come and be a part of their their community, right? But then not support the very work that they called them there to do. How do you how do you help faculty members with that? Yeah, that's a very um, tricky situation, and that happens. And the other part of that, which is important to note, is the future generations of faculty in our current they really want to do this work. Okay, and I think it's an it's an asset to think about that we could transform in a way that we could be the institution of first choice for great faculty members to do this. Yeah. But you're right. Um, I th- one of the things that we sometimes have challenge with is even with this review process that I mentioned is there's there's kind of almost like the Goldilocks, you know, too hot, too cold. Right. So we have we have some departments that they're like, well, you don't even need this review committee because everybody in our department supports this work. So, you know, game on, let's okay. go, right? Okay. But then on the other end is what you're describing of, of departments who say, this is not really what we do. Right. You know, we're kind of bench scientists, you know, we're, we're not involved with this kind of work. We see our work in very different ways. So in our particular office, you know, we, we've kind of been sticking with uh, the coalition of the willing, if you're open to that yeah, metaphor, yeah. whereas um, in some cases when people are in those, you know, least supportive uh, departments, we try to typically at invitation of chairs and others help them make sense about this as scholarship, this work as scholarship. Because I think what happens in departments is they tend to throw this in the outreach bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say, oh, well, this is just, you know, outreach of what we're doing. But when you look at the quality of the work, this is scholarship. And so part of it is helping the candidate to make a case for the work that's done in community, but in cases where community is helping to form the research questions, right. helping in some cases to, you know, collect data, interpret the findings, you know, working together to say, what does this mean and what do we do about it? And I think what 
we also try to counsel uh, candidates is to show how is the field or your discipline better because of the research you're doing with community. So what wrinkles of knowledge are we learning from community partners in a way that are completely off the radar if you're running big data sets or whatever that does not have community voice? That's the sweet spot of contribution that we try to help in those cases that are difficult. I also know that, it, so I know you do some workshops and you do large trainings. I think you have an engaged academy. What what else do you want to tell us about your work? Yeah, so um, one of the things that's been a really uh, fun and gratifying part of my career uh, over the years is since 2008, I've been part of what's called the Engagement Academy for University Leaders. And what this is all about is it was started by uh, a group of partners across several associations, national associations uh, that were, now it's called Association of Public Land Grant Universities, Engagement Scholarship Consortium, Campus Compact. There's all of these associations that are kind of broadly interested in this work. But at that point, around 2008, there was a concern that um, that there was really not an executive training academy for how people lead through a public engagement lens. So I was connected. What was fun for me is I was a, I was just starting as assistant professor, but uh, I was brought in by the the giants of the field mm. who were former presidents and others. Um, and so I'm, I'm so grateful for that opportunity. And I think what was interesting, this gets back to my fundraising life before, is I was unique in that I came out of the development office, right. which was odd, <laughs> but then I also did research in this area and I became a faculty member. So my contribution then was to think about how do we consider this work in a resource development frame um, in, in that way. So fast forward, we've trained, I believe it's about 170 plus campuses across four continents. We did something in Newfoundland, Canada last year. Uh, it was a th- three-day event. So this is kind of becoming international. Um, so that's really been a, a neat part of the work. And the people you meet are, are amazing around the world doing this kind of work. So uh, so that's been a really cool thing to be a part of. And I love that you do that because I think that, um, you know, the Coalition of the Willing, you know, at, at your university is one place, but then to see that people are doing it in other countries and how they do it, you know, whether it's, uh, I, I like to say, from the rooter to the tutor, mm-hmm. and it sounds like, uh, is it New Finland? Yeah. Mm-hmm. New Finland se- sounded like they did it from the rooter to the tutor from the di- from the time you showed up. Yeah. What was fascinating about that is um, in those particular contexts, in these cultural contexts, um, to see the fascinating cultural history that drives their work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in that sense, you know, hearing the unique Newfoundland story around their heritage and who they are, and then how they thought about, in this case, Memorial University as an engaged institution in this area of Labrador, Newfoundland, and, you know, the history of the sea and the fishing and what they did in World War II and all of this cool stuff. Amazing. But I think that's the neat thing about it is that these are very rooted in place, these ideas. And so, and I don't know, with the rooter to the tutor, it, did, I, did I meet with you? <laughs> you did. You did. Okay. Yes, you did. Have you ever heard that term, rooter I, to I the haven't, tutor? so I was winging oh, it. <laughs> so, oh, well, you know, people who grew up on farms. Okay, um, my wife would know it then. Well, your, your wife probably would. You know, they try to make use of every part of, of an animal, oh, okay. right? From the rooter to the tutor. I see. Okay. So, all right. So we've learned something new today. You're right. Absolutely. <laughs> we've learned a lot of things. What else? What else do you want to tell us about your work? What What drives you? What What keeps you? What keeps you motivated? 
as you do this work? Well, I think what I'm excited about is thinking about Minnesota as a state and the possibilities for scaling this work um, even more than we do across the system campuses. Because um, if we think about the challenges of our state and our region in a lot of different ways of things that are happening, I, I really, you know, hearken back to as a graduate student when uh, this uh, this reading around Ernest Boyer, who was kind of the guru back then writing about scholarship reconsidered, and he said, he had this quote that always stuck with me in the effect of, um, I have this sense of what we need for the U.S. Is, or for higher education is not more programs, but actually a larger sense of purpose in the nation's life. Um, and I think about that. That's powerful. Is something of of what we're about, and we, especially in the times that we're living in, with a lot of challenges. That that is, you know, certainly its own podcast on all of that. <laughs> but but we think about it. Where are we uniquely situated at this time and place? to do something important with community partners uh, for the good, for the common good. So that's what gets me excited to get up in the morning. Okay. I, I also know you do a little, work, a little bit of work around faith and universities coming together. Yeah. So, across faiths. Yeah. So uh, one of the things I was thrilled is that you were uh, <laughs> on, a, on a webinar with us. We do um, s- some work in the area of uh, how various faith co- communities come together for the public good in these particular areas. So we had um, uh, a, a grant from uh, Interfaith Youth Corps this past uh, couple of years uh, to, to do some work on this and bring together across different theological traditions and uh, various faith communities to say, how do we work uh, you know, across these traditions in ways that uh, we honor people's backgrounds in ways that you know really bring purpose and meaning to people's work together in the community? So that so it was really fun to have that uh, this past fall. So thinking about the folks who represented uh, on that, uh, yourself included. So I, w- I wanted to mention that for folks. So as a way for that we could maybe link back for people to have to watch the video. Well, so. I was not most excited about my participation. But <laughs> I, the, I was. The, I was. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> I was excited that, our you know, one of our, our, our first deep conversations was about about faith and um how that can be integrated into these conversations because we are having because because we are in such a, a polarized uh, state right now. So I, I really enjoyed that first conversation. And um, but then actually uh, during that webinar, um, just hearing from the other folks on the panel, you know, just kind of walking t- into what I would say the belly of the beast um, right. at times when with uh, how people were feeling about different faiths. So. The, the other part that I'm thinking about is that a lot of the federal, fo- not foundations, but federal government is also looking for engagement to be a part of what researchers are doing. And they've they've um, developed it more, um, saying that they want engagement, but a lot of times the timing is a little off. Can you talk a little bit about how faculty are, are addressing that or what you see as questions people have or how you feel about that change over time? Yeah, so I think one of the main drivers of some of this work early on was uh, National Science Foundation's work where they talk about broader impacts became a one of the things that was required for grant successful grant applications. And broader impacts really refers to how is this research really making a difference for the public good for a broader way. Okay. So I think in that particular sense, 
it was interesting because that was a driver for a lot of folks. Getting back to the ah. fundraising thing again <laughs> is people say, how do we do this public engagement? <laughs> we need to do it for a grant, right? So unwittingly or wittingly, <laughs> um, that actually brought people to the table around to say, well, we need to think about uh, this more carefully. So I think in that sense, you're right. Um, you know, NIH and these other uh, federal foundations and groups that are, are funding this, they do have their set of timelines that come together at different points. I think what we think about probably in this space is the notion from moving from projects to partnerships with communities. Yes. And so in that sense, you're not all of a sudden at the last minute putting together an RFP with a, a new group of people like, oh, can we find some people to do this right. work? So you're, you're having this uh, long-term relationship that you're building over time and there's different discussion about, you know, different levels of the relationship and how do you cultivate that and make this authentic. So I think the, th the thought is when those opportunities come up and you have uh, grant opportunities is that there's people kind of already involved in this in a way that they're ready to work together. Uh, on this if it's appropriate. Um, so I, I see that we've been doing some work with the county related to this too and developing, uh, in fact, with one of my colleagues called shovel-ready faculty. Shovel-ready. <laughs> um, in the sense of, yes. of, you know, that they can, that they're shovel-ready to work with community partners in an yeah. authentic way. So I, I think that's something that uh, with these timelines, with the federal grants are important, um, but that's certainly an area to, that needs more help as well that we can work on. Okay. Well, thank you. That's that's really good to hear. And um, as we come to a close, if, I, you know, whether I'm a new faculty member or I'm listening in across the country somewhere, how do I, how do I get in touch with you? How do I learn more about the work you do? And if anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, great. So our Office for Public Engagement, uh, University of Minnesota, Easily Googleable, if that's a term. <laughs> um, and I'll just if my uh, email address would be right on there. If you go about us, it's David Wirtz, and it's dwirtz at umn.edu. W-E-E-R-T-S. That's the Dutch slash German spelling of it. There's still, a, there's still a dispute about where the background is. <laughs> um, but that's, we're easy to get a hold of and be happy to talk to folks about this. So, um, But thank you so much for having me on. It's really been an honor to participate today. All right. And hopefully we'll have you back. Excellent. Thank you. You can learn more, as you just heard, about the Office for Public Engagement and Faculty Director David Wirtz. I want to say a special thanks to him for being here on today and a special thanks to Nina Shepard with the Office for Public Engagement in UROC. Uh, she is the Senior Communications Director. To learn more about UROC and our many community partnerships, visit uroc.umn.edu. That is uroc.umn.edu. Today's episode was produced by Blackbird Revolt, engineered by Stan Tequila, edited by Jordan Moses. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks for listening. <laughs>